You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Jim Wolfrey, and you're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we interview great sporting coaches to try and find ideas to help us all lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Julia Price. Julia is a former Australian cricketer and now coach. She started playing cricket in 1988, and just eight years later was debuting for Australia against England in her first test. A specialist wicketkeeper, she played 84 one-day internationals and was part of the World Cup winning team in 1997 and 2005. Julia started coaching in 1999 while still playing, travelling to developing cricket nations like Ireland, Scotland, the Netherlands and Argentina to coach both men and women. She retired as a player in 2012 and transitioned into full-time coaching. In 2013, she coached the Tasmanian women's cricket team, and then in 2018, she became the first female coach in the men's T20 league in Australia, where she was an assistant to Darren Lehman. Then, in 2019, she was appointed head coach of the USA cricket team to help them prepare for the 2028 Olympics in Los Angeles. In this discussion, Julia speaks honestly about integrity and trust as her core values and how she uses them to encourage more open and honest conversations within her teams. 
She shares a fascinating method in having team members analyze each other's playing techniques as well as their competitors to offer advice on what they think could be improved. And she talks about a positive experience with a psychologist who helped her to keep thinking in the moment. And the central insight she took away was making sure you look after yourself first so that you have the energy to look after others. It's great learning, applicable to all leaders, and we hope you take as much away from this as what Paul and I did. The Great Coaches Podcast. Julia Price, good afternoon and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Thanks very much, Paul. We are very excited to have you today. We love talking a little bit of cricket, but before we get into that, could we just start with where are you in the world today and what have you been up to so far? Uh, I'm in Hobart, Tasmania, so still back in Australia, COVID-free, which is fantastic. The life is very normal here and it's actually, well, not that normal because it's 22. It's quite hot in Tasmania, which is not normal for this time of year, but it's yeah, been some great weather. It's been a very mild winter, so it hasn't been as painful as I would have thought having to stay down here in Tasmania for a whole winter. But uh, yeah, generally just uh, catching up on a little bit of work with the stuff that I do over in the U.S., Tempted to go for a run at some stage, so I probably won't be able to get out of this chair for another few hours now. Now I'm in one position. Right, we've got you trapped there, so we're going to ask you all the tough questions then. <laughs> exactly. Julia, we will get on to the USA, actually, where you're, you're coaching at the minute, but I'd like to start by just taking a bit of a step back because you have a long CV, multiple Cricket World Cups. You've coached men's and women's teams in, and I hope I get this right, South Africa, Ireland, the Netherlands, Scotland, Australia, and even Argentina. So from that perspective, what is it you think the great coaches do differently? Yeah, well, firstly, what is a great coach? Um, And if I am actually indeed one, but all I sort of tend to focus on is is just about those relationships with with your team. I think that's absolutely crucial um, to understand your players and, and what they're sort of needs are um, and how they, they're driven, I suppose, to, to be able to get them better. In the end, it all comes down to, to relationships pretty much. Without that relationship with you, people aren't really going to want to put in that extra. I mean, you're going to get a few that are really driven and just want to com- compete, but there's others. And I think in natural human behaviour is you want to have that sort of relationship and some sort of care from with, mutually with your coach to your players. So I think... Just understanding your players and having them under- think that you think you <laughs> say think know that you care, so that that uh, you know you're trying to get the best out of them and, and get them improving. And and in the end, it's pretty much all about the player. We have a lot of coaches talk about the importance of care, actually. But mm. what I'm really interested about is how do you balance between knowing someone well enough that you can care for them, but also being able to stand back enough and being dispassionate to make more objective decisions for the benefit of the team. How do you find that line? Yeah. Well, it's funny because I, um, when I came down to Tasmania, I played here for three years, just flying in and out when I was living in Queensland and then retired. And then a year later became the coach. So I was still friends with all those girls that were my teammates. And I did really struggle that first year because I, one, I didn't know anyone down here. So, you know, they kept saying, Oh, do you want to go out to this or that? Or, you know, and sort of hanging out with them socially, but then, you know, you have to make those hard calls occasionally and they're not going to be overly happy with you. But at the same time, you'd hope that they start to understand that it's not a personal decision. I mean, I'm there as the coach of the team to win games. I'm not there to be their mate and just pick my friends in the team because that sounds fun. I mean, in the end, it's about what's what's the best for getting that team forward, whether it's a short-term goal or a long-term goal, and they can be very different teams if that's the case. I think it comes down to just making sure that, you know, you've got 
in integrity and you're very honest with how you go about things and therefore they understand all of your uh, processes are, are based around what's best for the team and therefore you can separate yourself from that, you know, friendship. And, and I'm still absolutely friends with a lot of the people I coach, but they know where I'm just going to tell them how it is and, that, and they accept that about me. Coaching players is like a very special friendship. There's a lot of honesty and you, and you put it out there. It's nearly... It's nearly like a family, you know, you have these blow-ups and, you you know, they hate you for a while and then they come back and, you know, because everyone does need to rely on each other. I need the players there on my side and the players need me on their side. So it's an ongoing relationship, but in the end, I think it comes down to that trust, that relationship, honesty, and, and making sure you've got integrity with everything that you do and your selections. So Julia, you were coaching a very well-resourced or helping to coach a very well-resourced men's team, the Brisbane Heat. Mm-hmm. Then alternatively, you're coaching the USA women's team, a significantly less resourced team. And I'm wondering how your role as a coach changes in both of these environments. Yeah, well, I suppose initially the, the first uh, answer would be the fact that I was an assistant coach with the Brisbane Heat. So my role immediately is um, of, of less responsibility. You know, you sort of just rely on um, the coach's direction, the head coach's direction of what they want you to do. I mean, you can bring up, uh, ideas while you're there that they potentially usually can finance. Uh, but as the head coach for the USA, you know, I'm in charge of not just the team, but also, you know, the direction we're going with the future of the game and how we driving that with the younger kids and, how, you know, what are the, how are we getting more people to play and how do we market the team to other people? So to, to do all of that and on a very lean budget, you do have to be quite innovative. But fortunately, as a female sports person, uh, I've been exposed to it a lot over the last 25 to 30 years. So um, I've become very miserly with the way that I can you can get things done. And it's amazing how many things that are free or very, very cheap that you can do that are really great for your team to do bonding activities or plenty of stuff online that you can, you know, tap into, you know, getting them to watch videos that, are, that potentially may inspire them or send them a good message. And you just get a little bit more creative with how you actually do things. I can't just say, Hey, uh, we need to all go on a, a, an all expenses uh, yacht trip down the uh, Derwent river or wherever in America, Hudson, whatever. And uh, you know, th- that sort of stuff just doesn't happen. So where potentially it would in a lot of the men's BBL clubs or even IPL or any of those sort of franchise teams, you know, we could always put them on a ferry and that's just as much fun because in the end, actually, the, the, the team itself is what matters. It's not necessarily all the external fluffy great things that you get from it. It's actually how the, the players are interacting and um, what they feel that they get out of it. And, and, and that's the, the end goal is are they going to get the same thing out of going on a million-dollar yacht compared to going on a ferry trip? And if they are, sweet, we'll go to the ferry trip and save some money and put it somewhere else for the, for the rest of their learnings. I heard you talk about that actually on the, on a conversation with uh, your good friend, Mel Jones, and you were talking about, I think the question was, would you take business class airfares if it was available or would you take the money and put it into team development? But I can't remember the answer. I remember the question. So I'm going to pose that question to you now. If we could put you on one of those yachts up the Derwent River, would you take the money or would you put it into development somewhere else? I would absolutely put it into development. Uh, I just, I mean, as much as I'd love a business class flight or a yacht trip on the Derwent, I think when you take on a role, particularly in the women's game at the moment, and there's probably some examples of this in the men's game, 
you know, you, you're understanding that, you know, there's not going to be a, a huge amount of money in it. And you're actually in there for the bigger picture. You're not just in there just to coach the team and, and that's where your role starts and stops. It's actually broader than that. So any additional money you get coming in, sweet, that's something else that I can do in a pathway program or we can pay for, you know, another few grounds to be hired and get some umpires so that we can, uh, you know, really do a, a you know, proper sort of centre wicket to get more benefit out of it leading into a qualifier or something like that. So there's always ways that you can spend the money better uh, and I'm constantly trying to find those sort of angles and, and what we can do with that. But, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely uh, go the economy or go the ferry trip. <laughs> you, we were talking before we, we started this interview about your love of travel, you know, and um, all the places you've been and all the articles I read about you, it, it mentions it all the time. And it comes through when you're coaching too. You've been all these varied places and you've, you've, you've been a coach in some, some, some wonderful teams and a lot of developing nation teams. So I'd like to ask you, when you go into these places and you're starting from scratch and you're trying to build a team culture, what are some of the things that you would advise other coaches to do first? Yeah, I think, I think listening is the first thing you've really got to do when you go into a new team, a new sort of group and, and understand what their expectations are of, you know, what they're going to get out of being in your program. And hopefully, you, you know, you're hoping that they're all going to say, you know, they want to get better and they, you know, they want to put back, give back to the, the game and all that sort of stuff. But then that's when you start say, putting down what you also expect as well. So it's starting to put set some boundaries, I suppose, of, you know, where everyone's at, what they want and what I want from the thing. And hopefully they all marry up. Uh, and generally they do. It's more the actual, the act of actually the doing that, that becomes difficult because partic- particularly in all these developing countries, they're all full-time workers and it's um, the aspirations of the team and potentially of me wanting to, to get them higher and higher and, and to you know, qualify for these World Cups or even winning regional qualifiers or whatever they're trying to do actually um, is probably a little harder than they thought it was and to be able to balance all that time management and how are they going to fit in their fitness between, you know, looking after their two children that they've got as well. And, you know, it's, there's a enormous amount of work that needs to go into understanding where that group is in regards to its development and, and its aspirational sort of goals that they, that they want to do. So I think initially it's got to be about that listening and getting everyone on the same page. And I suppose it's straight away, as we we're discussing before that honesty from, from the coach to say, well, this is where we're trying to go and, and set it out fairly clearly you know, making sure that they've got goals that they can understand and can achieve dependent on their individual circumstances and, and things like that. So it is always a tough one because there's a lot of people that are just like, man, I've just walked into this team before. I don't need to do anything because no one's pushing me for my spot. And then you've got others that are, you know, prepared to absolutely go to the end of the, the earth and really flog themselves to make sure that they're doing the right thing. And you've got in, in, a, in a national team, this is. So that's where it's so important to be able to have that base, a broader base of players and be able to divide it into different sort of structures uh, domestically so that, you know, you can really start weeding out those that are pro- potentially going to be holding others back and, and the aspirations of, of the organisation, which most organisations want to win things, you know, they're, they're not just there to, to, to muck around. They really want their national teams winning things. So I don't know if I answered that question. I went around a lot then, but anyway. <laughs> Perfect answer. We like it when people go around a lot. So thank you. <laughs> I want to talk about high performance environments because it was a great interview with you recently. The challenge was, Julia, what's required to create a high performance environment? You, you rattled off five things. And one of them was healthy competition. And I wanted as to, to ask you, how do you foster healthy competition? 
in female teams? Because my sense is, I'm, I'm not a coach, but my sense is it's different from the way you would do it in male teams. It may, it may be different. Um, I don't know if all teams would be like that. I think there are some male teams that probably don't have healthy competition either. They're, they're a little protective of their, their turf. I suppose with, with female teams, and, and again, I'm being a little presumptuous here, but there's been in the past so few opportunities for females that we've made it difficult for ourselves um, by not supporting other females in roles and elevating them because there were so few opportunities and we personally may have wanted to actually have that opportunity ourselves. Now it's starting to open up and broaden up and suddenly we've got women supporting other women and that is suddenly a new beast, which is fantastic. So in a broader sense, I think the healthy competition comes from, you know, senior players wanting to, to sell the game to younger players and get them on board. So if I talk about America, I'm really trying to get them to understand their role as a, a mentor and a future coach and a development officer to be able to get more people playing the game. If they want to improve, then they've actually got to have other people pushing them constantly. And I would say 80% of my group get it. They understand that whether they've got time to do that is another question, but they understand the, the incentive of having more people playing, pushing them, making it hard so that they've always got someone on their tail. It's, it's hard to stay motivated when you're number one all the time and no one's trying to knock you off. And then with the healthy competition, I mean, to me, it's about also having, you know, a domestic competition that's very, very strong as well, which we're very lucky to have here in Australia. That's um, The WNCL has been around since 1997 and, you know, and that then expanded into a T20 competition and now the WBBL, which has been enormous. And that last sort of 20-odd years is why Australia's been so strong internationally is because they're domestically they've got such a strong competition. They've got, you know, lots of healthy competition there with girls vying for spots in those domestic teams, but also really pushing those Australian girls to keep them on their toes and know that, you know, they've got someone breathing down their neck that wants their position in the team. So there's a few different aspects of that healthy competition whether it's internally in your team and we've just been recently we're just uh, this week actually in our usa team we did a um uh we've been doing analysis and just starting to understand how you anal analyze a player and do that sort of thing so we've been doing it sort of we've had vision of our, our opposition players from when we played in the qualifiers last year and we've just assigned you know one or two people to to a group of girls and then last week they i gave them a peer uh, analysis. So they had to analyze one of their own players. And there was a few panicked looks because, but I'm saying, girls, you just go through the same process. It's all objective. It doesn't mean you're being personal. You're just trying to do exactly what you've done with your opposition so far. So I got 10 out of the 15 have got back to me, which is good. Uh, and a couple of them actually spoke to the player that they were doing it about, which I think, again, is also healthy to make sure that they're all discussing these things and helping each other improve, which I think is a, a really, really good step. So I was actually really quite pleased with the fact. I thought I knew they'd panic a little bit, but that's why I sort of led them into it blindly, the uh, opposition analysis and the process, so that there was something really objective about it. They couldn't get too subjective, and, and therefore the, the, the arguments would lessen if it was uh, based purely on fact and what they're seeing and what their analysis is. So, so I've, I've been very happy with that, to me, healthy analysis of each other and competition within the group. What a great idea. Where, where did that come from? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I've had five months in COVID, I think. <laughs> Plenty of time to think. <laughs> so, uh, but, but at the same time, it does help me out as well because now I've, I've, I've got all this uh, information from the girls and I'm going to send it out to the, the players. They haven't received it yet. But it's really good for me to start conversations with players as well because we work on our 
individual player plans or performance plans, whatever you want to call them, it, it can bring up some really good conversations because now it's not just my opinion that, that we're looking at on the piece of paper. This is someone else's anonymous. Some of them anonymous. Some of them are, you know, they've put their name to it, which is good. But it allows, um, you know, me to have those conversations with a player and them to self-analyse a bit more, you know, once it's been sort of brought up, whether what's their strengths, what their, what's their weaknesses, you know, what's their strategies around going scoring. Should they, are they, you know, is it right or wrong or is there even a right or wrong at all? So to me, it, it helps me keep the girls on track, get those IPPs done, and then we can start setting goals for them so they've got some sort of purpose when they're training as well. They're actually trying to work on something and not just rocking up to have a bit of a hit or a bowl. And Julia, if we got your performance plan out right now, what are some of the <laughs> things that would be written on it? <laughs> as a coach or just generally? No, as a coach. <laughs> well, you can do oh, generally if you like. We'd be interested in that too. Yeah. Ah, what would my performance but well, it's it quite extensive because I'm sort of also work on the. Um, we're trying to put together a domestic structure in, in. There's no female cricket per se in America at the moment, so I'm trying to work on that sort of tier down level. How do we get it to that? Uh, so that would be that would be one performance plan is actually setting a, a, a structure up so that it, that it works. Then we've also got um, talent identification. So exposing cricket to the rest of the country and how are we going about that, which is obviously 330 million people and an enormous country. So it's quite a difficult task to do that. So we're using a lot of our statistics and, you know, data that we've just gathered recently from some surveys about where our numbers would be. So that's one thing is about talent ID. And that's at the moment we're focusing on, you know, girls that are actually playing. But I think then there's also the talent idea for girls that aren't playing. So transitioning girls from other sports and focusing on that. So again, going into colleges and universities. So that's probably in my midterm performance plan would be looking at, you know, growing the sport into the general community for, for the United States. For my girls, well, when we went to the qualifiers, we didn't really talk about winning at all. We never, we didn't really do that. We were just talking about improving in certain set areas for all the girls. So a lot of them did tick off a lot of those areas, team-wise goals and individual goals. So I think at the moment, which is really difficult to have too much of a performance plan for me with regards to skill work uh, or results because we're not playing any games. So, so at the moment, it's about keeping the, the squad engaged I've been we've been having little group challenges and, and and keeping them working together as a as a group and keep working on their improvement in the understanding of the game we've had a lot of time to do a lot of um, the mental side of the game we're doing tactical side of the game we're doing you know even additional things like time management and vulnerability and gratitude and all these extra things that you know, we, we can tick off these really good things that, that help improve them as a, as a cricketer. So I suppose in the end, and how I measure that will be difficult, but, you know, are they a better cricketer, you know, coming out of COVID than they were at the beginning of it when we started this process? I don't know how to measure that yet, but, I'll, um, but I, I'm feeling that, uh, that they, they would feel that they're a more confident group with regards to lots of aspects and holistically, I suppose, growing as, as um, cricketers for on, on and off field. Actually, talking about values, you're one of your players, Sarah Farouk, said that the biggest thing you've done is brought back fun for her. So How good. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what are the other values that are really central to your uh, coaching philosophy? Um, I suppose we sort of spoke, touched on it before. It's that integrity, you know, so that girls know that, you know, what I say that I'll do, I'll actually do and, and go through it. I know that there's a trust element as well there. You know, if they are having difficulties away from the game that they can come to me and, and understand that it's, you know, it's a, 
conversation that we can have. It's, you know, there's, they mightn't get the outcome that they want, but at least they know that they can have a conversation with me and it, it will be a fairly open and honest one. Sort of my own values, I sort of I do try, a, a growth mindset I think is, is very important as well, particularly being in the USA, it's, it's quite different. There are lots of different cultures in the, in the team as well. So you've got to constantly be um, making sure that you're, you're open to, you know, this is what they do in the Caribbean or this is what they're doing in Pakistan or, you know, it's, it's always about not, not thinking all the same way that I do here in Australia. It's about trying to be a little broader in the way I think as well. So that growth mindset is probably has been the most valuable, I think, out of my values for the last sort of five to six months where it's really been quite challenging to, to, to get girls on the same page and, and probably get them to understand being a non-cricketing nation, getting them to actually understand the integrity of the game. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How to respect the game and even... Um, you know, those, the, the uh, sort of the values of, of the sport and sportsmanship in, in cricket with, you know, their unwritten rules. So, therefore, it's like, well, why do we do it? There's no, that's not a rule. We can do that. Well, you can't really do that. <laughs> so, it's about, you know, that educating them a little bit with regards to, you know, the values around the game as well and, uh, and my respect for the game and how, how players should be perceived about having that respect for the game as well. So, so, yeah, a bit of respect, I think, needs to be in there. I might add that to my list of values. I haven't put that one down. And accountability, that's my biggie. Sorry, accountability. I've got to make sure I'm doing stuff. I know it's a boring one, but you've, just, you've got to make sure that you're taking charge and of if things don't go right, well, it does fall on my shoulders because I'm the head coach and I haven't got anyone else to blame it on. So I've, uh, I've got to make sure that I'm accountable to these girls and I, I am making sure they've got a good program every week that's going to help them to grow, but also make sure that I turn up and ready to go. Julia, you were very close with your parents. I believe Wendy and Graham were their names. In fact, your father took you down to watch the Boxing Day test all the way from Queensland, which would have been mm-hmm. a huge trip. What elements of your upbringing and your parents have found their way into some of those things you just talked about then? Well, my parents were Victorian, so it wasn't that big a deal going down to Melbourne for them. So they, um, but, so we were visiting family for Christmas, so it was a double tick there, so... But my, my family were very, very, it was a very Christian household. I, I got brought up with, you know, a lot of, um, again, honesty was a, a big part of our family and that we should be able to speak up and have con- honest conversations. So that's really helped me because a lot of people find it difficult to have those honest conversations that are hard because, you know, you're upsetting people or, or you're di- it's difficult. But I have, I have to admit I've always found it just quite normal because I feel if I'm just telling them the truth, then 
there shouldn't be an issue, which of course sometimes it is. <laughs> but then again, it comes back to having that relationship prior to, you know, just blurt out whatever you're saying. You, you need that relationship with, the, with, with your players to be able to have that honest conversation in the first place. So I think honesty is definitely one. My mother was the big traveler, so she was, uh, she was the reason why I love traveling so much. She traveled, caught the boat across to England when she was a 21-year-old and traveled the world for, you know, two years. And, and, and fortunately, when I was uh, 10, I did a European trip uh, for six weeks with my family as well. So I just got the bug very, very young and loved it ever since. She was also an occupational therapist and she... It was all about um, for her helping people. And she was a Pisces though. I'm a Capricorn, so we're very different. But she's a, she was a Pisces, helped out, you know, a lot of people and, and ended up working in palliative care. So I think that resilience, you know, that she had to show every day coming home, having seen some really awful, awful things at, at these hospices were, you know, terrible. So I think, again, that's rubbed off on me a little bit. They've, they've taught me how to be, you know, you're allowed to care and you're allowed to be upset and you're allowed to be, but you can also there's a time and a place and maybe it was too much. <laughs> maybe I hold things in a little bit too much. Some people might be critical of them, but, uh, but they, uh, yeah, I generally, I, I, I can't appear emotionless sometimes, but I'm certainly not on the inside. I'm hurting on the outside. I uh, try and keep it together. And, you know, in, in times that you actually need it to, uh, to be strong, I suppose, and, and get through some tough times. I want to ask you about resilience in a minute, but I just want to talk about tough times actually which was Tassie 2018. I don't want to go back over what happened or what didn't happen, but I'd just like to ask you what you learned from that whole experience that you've taken forward into your future roles. Yeah, it was, it was, um, Tasmania was fantastic. I learned heaps because it was the first sort of head coaching job that I'd had and it was a full-time position. I never thought that I was ever going to be able to, when I was playing cricket, I never thought this sort of stuff would happen while in my lifetime. So, you know, I'm very grateful to Cricket Tasmania and a lot of the staff, there with you know amazing when I when I first started there so but just the job itself probably just got a little too big for me in the fact that I'm trying I was trying to look after the whole all the pathways as well and so I think the, the main thing I learned from being there was just I've, I've learned to say no <laughs> where I just kept taking on more and more things um and I had the same thing when I was working with AFL Queensland I was just exhausted after I had six years there same thing just took on way too much because no one else was sort of doing it. And you sort of felt like you, I sort of, I wanted it to be there. So but at the same time, it wasn't really helping me personally. So the more time I spent in cricket Tasmania here, growing the pathway and, and pushing that sort of side, the less time I'm spending with the actual team, which was my primary job. So I think that's one thing that I've really got to have a bit more self care and, and uh, just make sure that I'm, uh, looking after myself so that then I can start looking after others. That was my, my big, my big learning from it. But I also learned lots of things. I mean, you always learn from failures, not that it was a failure, but you learn from failings, you learn from learnings. You know, there's plenty of things that I, I might do differently and there's plenty of things that I'd do exactly the same. So, but yeah, no, I've, I've certainly got through it fine. <laughs> and again, it's, it's not the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life. So I can, uh, I'll deal with it quite well, but, uh, and I got to travel for six months straight after that. So that was great. Took a bit of a holiday and tried to get my head right about what, what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I enjoy coaching. It's, um, you know, it's great. And fortunately I got into, I got offered channel seven uh, commentary as well, which is sort of like coaching without the responsibility, which is fantastic. Um, you know, you just get on there and you talk about cricket and you, can analyze everything that's happening on the field. And at the end of the day, you just 
go away and have a beer with a few of your co-commentators and you don't have to worry about doing all the stuff that you have to do for as a coach. But at the same time, coaching is, is can be so rewarding, you know, when you're able to help a team get across the line from all the stuff that you've seen them do or you see a player that you've been working with and they've executed a skill out in the middle that just kick-started something for them in the future that, you know, they go and get a 50 or something that's their first 50 or they bowl that off-cutting ball from having bowled only outswingers for the past five years and suddenly they bowl that off cutter you've been working on and it takes out off stump those sort of things you can't get in the commentary box those are sort of things you have to you have to be vulnerable you have to put yourself out there and put your you know your emotions on the line to be able to get teams across the line and you know and and i think i think that's hard to replace other than actual playing itself Julie, I heard you say that during COVID, it's given you the chance to work on the mental side of the game a lot more. And you said this is something that we just don't do enough of as cricket players and cricket coaches. Could you tell us about some of the things you did with your team in the USA to build mental resilience? Sure. We've been doing um, a little bit of stuff. I I didn't do a whole lot of um, stuff when I was playing. I, I got dropped for the Australian team the first time and uh, we got told that we were doing... Um, We'd started just to engage a psychologist. So this would have been 2002 or 2003. And it was compulsory to do three sessions for the season. So, and I'm like, great, you know, I've got to do this psychology thing. What am I going to say to her that'll just keep her, you know, at bay and I won't have to think too much about it. And I sort of thought, oh, well, I can tell her, you know, how do I get back into the Australian team without focusing solely on that? And I did three sessions with her and they were the best three sessions I've ever done. I wish I had done psychology way earlier. And I think it's about finding someone that fits with you. Not every psychologist is going to have that relationship. I was just lucky that this chick was fantastic. She was good fun and, you know, didn't take it all too seriously but had some really good messages in there and, and things that I could go away and work on. So, and funny enough, I got back in the Australian team not long after that. So it was really, and I had my best season because I'd stopped thinking too far ahead. I was sort of trying to talk about being in the moment. So I've relayed that story to the girls a few times. I think they're sick of hearing it. But but then what we started to do this year, we went on Smiling Mind and just we've, I've got them starting to do little mindfulness exercises and starting to feel like in the moment a little bit more. Stop thinking too far ahead. Like what are you doing right now? What's happening with that? So... And a few of them have come back and they've absolutely loved it. They thought it was the best. But it's something quick that they can do. You can do a three-minute mindfulness session while you, before you go and start cooking dinner for your kids or whatever. So the girls found that one really easy to, to put in, in play. We've also done a little bit of meditation as well and, and we've done heaps of PDs and readings. You know, Justin Lang is a big one for all that sort of stuff. So... You know, that was also good about how do you relax and, uh, you know, after a game, how do you, you know, you're really wound up, you've got to play again the next day, how do you stop thinking about what you did wrong in the game or all those sort of things. So the meditation, again, is also about relaxing and switching off and how do you, and then you can start to lessen that and, and do that in between overs and then in between balls and, you know, then it suddenly becomes part of your life constantly. So, so yeah, we've just been doing a lot of PDs, a lot of some practical stuff. We did an online mental resilience course, they called it. It's the first time they've done it, which was a little um, theory-based, but at the same time it, was, it made some really good discussion points. The girls, some of them, the really intense nerdy ones, they love it, and they got, they got really into it, which is great because not everyone's going to buy into these things first go. And you've just got to try different, different ways of, of attacking maybe the same thing but from different avenues. And, and so we probably did repeat our message a fair 
a fair bit where we did it from various angles. And as I mentioned before, we did, you know, gratitude and we did um, vulnerability and what are the effects of these sort of things and opening yourself up to your teammates. How can that benefit you as a person and just all that sort of stuff. And yeah, I'm sure they're exhausted. I know I am from trying to do all this sort of stuff for five months because I've never had, I mean, you've never had that time, you know, to be able to, to do so much and it was great it was really really good good so it stretched me as a as a coach but I think it also made them really think about themselves and a lot of them have really gone they've really pushed on and done some great things with with their own game or even just trying to drive the game themselves in the middle of nowhere you know they've got no team but they're trying to do something it's been a really fun five months and I've really got to understand a lot of the personalities a lot better you know the people that are going to blow up and you know, come in here and say, no, I don't think we should be doing that. And then you've got someone over there saying, I think that was an amazing way of doing that. And we should hug it out. And, you know, so <clears throat> it's been good. You just re- I've really got to understand the players. And I haven't been in the country since December, but I feel like I'm actually quite close to them. So hopefully I'll get there at some stage and we can actually see each other face to face and discuss these things. But, but yeah, I think really focusing on that mental side of things and, and really making it normal is the other thing as well. Because again, anyone who's being to a psychologist, it's such a, not necessarily a shame, but everyone, no, no one talks about it. You know, it's a really personal thing. But when in fact, if it's, you know, we're talking about psychology, which is purely this, the, the, the way you think. It's not, it's not that you've got anything that's wrong or right in your head. It's just, let's get everything lined up that's going to make sense for you to be able to analyse everything that's going on around you and make it clearer and you can get to your decision a lot faster without all the clutter in between. So a bit like, if, if you're injured and you go to the physio, no one seems to be too concerned about that. You know what you, how you're going to go through getting back from your calf, you know, tear that you've had because you're 48 and you're trying to still run. Or, uh, and it's exactly the same process with a, with a psychologist, you know. It's going through the process of how am I going to practice this so that I can put it into a game or I can use it after a game to relax or get myself mentally prepared before I go and play or train or so sort of thing. So we're just trying to normalise it a fair bit. So I've, I've really enjoyed it, actually. It's been quite good fun. Julie, when I speak to female coaches, they often talk about their role as being one that extends beyond the sport that they're in. And they talk about being a role model for other women within and outside the sport, which is a heavy burden, I think, to carry. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to ask you, what advice do you have for other female coaches who are moving into elite environments? Wow. It's a good question. Um, I don't know if, I think we've got to take that pressure off ourselves a little bit because I don't even know if it's necessarily true. So when I was uh, the assistant coach for the WBB, for BBL, so the first female to do it, I didn't really think too much about it until I start reading all these articles left, right and centre, you know, and suddenly I'm, I'm the, if I don't do this well, that means every other female in the future is not good enough, is not good enough to be a, a BBL coach. And I, just, I hadn't even thought of it that way at that stage, so, which is absolutely ridiculous. So I think my, my suggestion or advice to people is just do what you do the best. Worry about your own strengths. Don't worry about the external factors and the, and the noise that goes on around it all. You do what your strengths are and be confident in those strengths and don't worry too much about the outside unless you want to. I mean, it's it's great to, you know, to have these female role models and drive that, but there is an extra pressure that comes with that and you are going to get knocked down. And social media has some good aspects of it. That's, it's got some very bad aspects of it as well. But I think I think as any female doing anything, I think you, you just got to do what you do best uh, and not worry too much about the external noise. That's a good answer. Thanks, Julia. 
just one last question if we can, and I've saved the easy one till, till the end. Good, I'm sweating here, yeah. <laughs> Julia, what legacy do you want to leave as a coach? Oh, you reckon that's easy? Oh, my goodness. What legacy? And again, this is another thing I've never really thought about. Maybe I need to think about these things more. When I was, when I was with AFL Queensland and I left there to go to do the job in Tasmania, the, my boss said to me, he said, oh, well, you've left a legacy here. And I said, have I? What have I left? And he said, well, your legacy was that I'd started this schoolgirls competition. And he said, and that will be the easiest pathway now for, for, for girls to play um, football in Queensland because it's in the school system. And I had never thought of that. I mean, I knew it was good, but I just, I didn't say, I wouldn't be like flying a flag like, hey, that's my legacy. You know, that's what I'm living. That's what I'm leaving my hat on. But for cricket, uh, what would my legacy? Um, man, I don't even know what my legacy would be. Um, well, let me try a different way then. So what is it you want to leave? Not necessarily yeah. what you've left, but yeah. when we were preparing for this, you know, you, you wrote back, to, oh, I might, you wrote something like, oh, great, I might learn something too. And then the more I read about you, you'll have to travel. You've gone to all these different countries. You've coached men and women. I'm like, this, this lady is a learning machine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I'm just watching interviews with you. There's been, that was a great interview with Mel Jones and the the administrator from Pakistan, whose name I just can't recall right quite now. She was, I mean, she was a debt. She was a dental surgeon. She was this uber professional, successful uh, person. I think you leave a legacy of learning. And I think you leave a passion for learning and self-development, which might not be self-evident to you, but I think it would be evident to the players who are in and around you. I could be totally wrong because we've never met. <laughs> but that, that's, that's the definitely impression I got reading and preparing for today. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, well, I, I mean, I, I actually I love cricket. It was funny. Uh, someone asked me recently, because I had to do an interview about the AFL uh, Queensland job um, not long ago and they said to you know you've got cricket or football you know which one do you like best and I'm like that's like asking which child you love best you know you can't do that but I think my passion because my parents are Victorian so I grew up you know watching AFL football so unfortunately I go for Carlton so that's my resilience right there that's how I've got resilience so but so I've always loved AFL football because I've grown up with it and and, and therefore I think that is why I did the job that I did because I was passionate about it. And then I think with cricket, it's the same sort of thing. Why am I still involved in cricket, even though you've been burnt, if you've had a few bad experiences and I keep coming back for more, it's because, you know, the sport itself is such a fantastic sport. And I love the fact that a country like the USA wants to play cricket, you know, and I love the fact that Argentina, when I went down there, they were keen to have me do a session with them, which is unbelievably good and obviously when I was in Ireland Netherlands and Scotland not again not non-traditional countries it's so exciting to have all these people want to play this game that I love and they want me to teach them it so yeah I, I find that I find that fantastic and very inspiring and uh, you know keeps me driven I suppose to, to stay in the game and, and keep particularly females giving them opportunities to be able to play because and it's great sometimes in these non-traditional countries because they don't see it as a male game they just see it as cricket. And that's so refreshing. I love that. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I sort of feel like I've nearly found a little bit of a where I'm supposed to be. And it's, it's in these developing countries and, you know, getting things on track, getting them organised, making it easy for anyone who wants to play the game just to come straight into it and go from there. So There yeah. is a team in Prague. I think they're uh, in Tier 3 in the sea. And I know that they're preparing to try and uh, go up to the next grade. So hopefully we'll get you here to do some coaching. Fantastic. 
and we can drink <laughs> a little bit more Czech beer together. Beautiful. Sounds good. <laughs> Julia Price, thank you for your time today. It's been a great interview. Wish you all the best with USA Cricket. I think you're onto something there. There's a big population and I'm sure that uh, by the time you leave, it's going to be even more successful than it aspires to be today. Awesome. Thanks very much, Paul. Really appreciate it. The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Paul here. And you have been listening to our discussion with Julia Price. The key highlights for me were Julia's thoughts on making sure that in the first conversations you have when you join a new team, you listen to understand the player's needs, but also respond with your expectations and boundaries so that expectations can be built quickly and how she used a sports psychologist to help her when she was dropped from the Australian team and how this helped her focus more on the present and regain the form she needed to rejoin the Australian team. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Jim and I did. In our next episode, we will be speaking to Team USA boxing coach, Billy Walsh. What makes a good coach? You know, I think there's there's many, many hats you got to wear uh, to become a good coach. And I think for all those guys that, that I know and was, you know, their personality, uh, being able to relate to people and get on with them and also then you have to have the, the background the technical technical awareness of of your sport and sometimes you know be, being a good relationship builder I think and then having respect of your players or your athletes is a key part of, of any coaching setup and just before we go coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight And so if you can put us in contact with a great coach that you know has a unique story to share, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes.
And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with a great coach that you know has a unique story to share, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 